Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Soundtrack Show with David W. Collins is about to begin. Welcome back to The Soundtrack Show. I'm your host, David W. Collins, and we're wrapping up our look at Star Wars from 1977 with music by John Williams via this episode, which is part two of our commentary on the film. But before we begin, I hope that you'll excuse the fact that I'm currently a bit under the weather with a cold, and you'll definitely hear it when I speak in this recording. Now, if it helps keep us in the Star Wars spirit of things, be rest assured that I got this cold while traveling to promote you guessed it, Star Wars. Anyway, we'll be picking up right where we left off in the last episode, at one hour, six minutes, and nine seconds, from Darth Vader's line, they might be trying to return the stolen plans, etc. Before we begin part two, uninterrupted, let's pause for a quick word from our sponsors. Okay, grab a snack, sit back, and enjoy the second half of Star Wars in five, four, Three, two, one. They must be trying to return the stolen plans to the princess. She may yet be of some use to us. Unlock one, five, seven, and nine. Release charge. Now here we have no music after we just had the rebel fanfare, which is uh, a really cool. A really cool version of the Rebel Fanfare. It's probably the biggest version that we've we've had uh, since the beginning of the movie. You know, all of our heroes together for the first time, really in danger. And I, I, like I said before, before we we stopped, I love the optimism of that. I love that it's not all doom and gloom. I love that it's all uh, about our our main characters going in for adventure. You know, yes, they're in over their heads. Yes, they're in incredible danger. But the adventure is more played up here. Now, of course, here we have stormtroopers on the Millennium Falcon looking for our heroes. And we're about to hear a very famous movie quote here as the uh, secret compartments get lifted up. These four notes. Boy, it's lucky you had these compartments. So that's John Williams actually quoting Bernard Herrmann's score for Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock's movie Psycho. 
leave that to me. John Williams and Bernard Herrmann were colleagues, and they were friends. I, I believe they first met when, when John Williams was at the 20th Century Fox lot under, uh, uh, under Alfred Newman, actually, who wrote the Fox fanfare. And, uh, and according to John Williams, uh, Bernard Herrmann was very encouraging to John Williams as a young man and would come to some of his scoring sessions and even encouraged him to go out and write movies, or excuse me, music beyond film music. He wrote uh, symphonic music. And in fact, Bernard Herrmann, <laughs> when John Williams was saying, you know, I want to write, write more than just film and TV music, Bernard Herrmann said, well, what's stopping you? <laughs> um, Bernard Herrmann, of course, had a long career with Alfred Hitchcock before they had a falling out over a movie called Torn Curtain. Uh, Hitchcock, unfortunately, started to blame Bernard Herrmann for his lack of success. And, and that's a whole other story. It's actually kind of awkward because John Williams ended up working with Hitchcock just a few years later when he scored Hitch's movie, I think it was his last movie, Family Plot. But uh, they have a lot of similarities. They both wanted to be uh, symphonic composers, which John Williams, of course, ended up doing. And uh, they both uh, attached themselves to young, talented directors, of course, Bernard Herrmann with uh, Citizen Kane and Orson Welles, and of course, John Williams with Steven Spielberg and George Lucas, and then not to mention Hitchcock. But th those are famous pairings, the sort of Herman Hitchcock and Spielberg Williams or, Willi or Lucas Williams pairings. Fascinating that uh, he decided to quote Psycho here in Star Wars. And uh, we had this little musical cue that we, we just passed. It's very exciting. Then we got, uh, we got Luke's theme, which is interesting because Luke is the last one through the door. So he comes in last, but yet we got the da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Again, stated softly, perhaps because he was the last one through the door. It was Han's cleverness that really got them out of that jam. He'll try to make the precise location appear on the monitor. The tractor beam is coupled to the main reactor in seven locations. Here we're just letting the sound effects carry things. And what's interesting about this scene as it moves forward and they discover that the princess is, is here. Well, first, there's this tractor beam bit here, where Obi-Wan's going to go and he's going to go and disable the tractor beam. What's interesting about this whole scene is you can really, really hear what I was saying earlier. You can hear the looped dialogue fade in and out. Sometimes they use production sound, sometimes they looped it in the studio. And you can hear it when it comes back in and out, especially here on Luke and Han, because those Stormtrooper costumes are very noisy. Well, you said it, Chewie. Where did you dig up that old fossil? Right here. Ben is a great man. That's production. Yeah, great at getting us into trouble. I didn't hear you give any ideas. This is all well, production. Well, better than just hanging around waiting for him to pick us up. Who do you think... What is it? I'm afraid. I'm not quite sure, sir. He says I found... Now it gets into looping. Well, who? This is all who studio. Is well, princess hmm. Leia, the princess, she's here? Princess. Where, where is she? There, princess, did you hear that? Where, where is she? On? That was back to production dialogue. You can actually hear there's, there's sort of almost more, more room tone in the, uh, in the production dialogue. Block AA it's funny because even on a, this is uh, obviously a set. This is at L Street. This is on a soundstage. They're not on location, but it's still a very noisy movie. You know, clacky armored costumes and droids. The uh, droids belong to her. She's the one in the message. We gotta help her. Now look, this whole exchange funny, right here is in the studio. Right this is all ADR. I'm not going anywhere. All of this. I'm not going anywhere. They're going to execute her. Look, a few minutes ago you said you didn't want to just wait here to be captured. Now all you want to do is stay? Marching into the detention area is not what I had in mind. But they're going to kill her. 
Better her than me. Every single line in that exchange was done in the studio. You can hear it. She's rich. I imagine because it's they're, they're speaking so low that they just rich. didn't get a clean recording. Rich, powerful. Listen, if you were to rescue her, the reward would be... What? Well, more wealth than you can imagine. I don't know. I can imagine quite a bit. You'll get it. I better. You will. All right, kid. You better be right about this. All right. What's your plan? And then any any sort of uh, movement you hear is all done by Foley artists. We discussed Foley and sound effects uh, in the What's in the Mix episode very early on in the soundtrack show, just so that we would have a vocabulary to be able to talk about these kind of issues. Um, so that you kind of develop your ear in terms of what it is that you're hearing here and why, uh, and what the issues are that you're facing. I remember as a kid, it's funny, I, I made a lot of home movies, and at the time it was all VCR camcorder stuff because that was the that was the medium that was available to me in the 1980s. This is a great cue here. Again, John Williams showing off his humor with the mouse droid here. See, it's really interesting. You're in the Death Star, and you're you start off in this humorous way before you kind of go into these like muted horns here. And uh, I love the little bells that are happening. It's almost like the death knell. It's like it's your funeral walking around here with a Wookiee posing as a as a prisoner in these stormtrooper outfits. Uh, you know, these two gnome skulls just totally lost in these in these outfits. But anyway, yeah, I used to as a kid. I used to I used to make camcorder movies and just go, man. Why does this sound so bad? You know, not understanding what the issues were, not understanding microphone technique and getting clean, very, very clean microphone uh, recordings, you know, of just the dialogue, just your source, and not really having a concept of the fact that most everything you hear in movies is replaced after the fact, uh, including footsteps and cloth movements and handshakes and even things like kisses and, and all of that. Um, certainly all this armor clacking here, you do it afterwards. Because again, production sound is only really used in the English version of the movie. Everything else is done in the studio for all the international versions anyway. So you have to cover it all. You have to create it all in the studio afterwards. This is a great music cue by John Williams here, these uh, pizzicato strings. And then of course, you have this version of Luke's theme with this flute. It's funny that it's a flute since he's going to rescue Leia. Uh, and uh, it's kind of done in, in a little bit of a of a major against a, an ominous minorish setting. And then now we just have these Where strings going. Da, this? And then just listen to those strings just holding Prisoner this moment of tension. Is this gonna work? I wasn't notified. And then the low I'll low woodwinds come in. Sounds like a bass clarinet comes in on his doubt, that officer's doubt. I wasn't notified, I'll have to clear it. And then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> I love he says, look out, he's loose, as if they're still trying to keep up the ruse and they're just accidentally shooting troopers. Uh, and then, yeah, the jig is up. They start shooting the cameras. This is a very noisy scene. You've got, uh, you know, tons of music, or tons of uh, bombast with these horns going off. Anytime you have a scene like this where you've got a ton of uh, horns and uh, really, really, really big music happening at the same time as big effects, it's always hard to strike a balance when you're mixing. It's a funny thing about mixing, you know, a lot of, and this is actually something that Gary Rydstrom said in, in an interview a long time ago. Gary Rydstrom, for those of you that don't know, uh, is, an, is an Oscar winning uh, sound designer and re-recording mixer and also from Skywalker Sound. And, you know, he did things like Jurassic Park and uh, Terminator and Saving Private Ryan. 
he said the mixing is it seems technical when you don't know about it. And sure, there's plenty of tech to learn, but there's plenty of tech to learn when you're playing piano, you know, when you're composing. Uh, it's a very creative process. You're you're making creative decisions that will enhance the the story and the experience, and you're trying to uh, highlight what's important and remove carve out elements that aren't. It really is kind of like carving a sculpture. Uh, you're sculpting the sound of every moment, and when you have a moment when you have that much stuff in it, like this shootout in uh, in the detention center. Um, it's very difficult to decide where your ear should go. Uh, and here's Leia's theme. That's a nice moment. Too little short for a stormtrooper. Huh? It's oh. like he set up a love theme, you know, <laughs> and then it just kind of went south. And then you get a little bit of that heraldic trumpet of uh, Luke's theme here, and then back into the action. He is here. Obi-Wan here, here we are back with the uh, what makes you think so? low woodwinds here on Vader. The last time I felt it. But yeah, mixing is a very creative process. It really is like sculpting. And when you have a scene like this where you have so much material to carve out, you just sometimes have to do your best. Walter Murch, who was kind of the first Ben Burt for George Lucas. He was the guy that did American Graffiti and, and did uh, THX 1138 and is a uh, sound designer and film editor and a director. He once said that your ear, any audience is, uh, you know, the ear can only really focus on, uh, did he, I think he said two and a half things at once. Really, your brain only registers two and a half things at once. You kind of register, you know, uh, music and sound, and you can kind of go back and forth, but really you kind of have to guide people's ear. You know, if you cover everything on screen, and, and, and I experience this as an editor all the time, you want to hit every muzzle flash on every weapon, you want to hit every footstep, you want to hit, you know, your ambient sound, you want to hit every little explosion that goes off, but then there's also music and dialogue. Your ear can't focus on all that. You have to actually pick and choose what it is that you want to highlight and what is the most important moment to moment. And that's mixing. That's really deciding, you know, you know, John Williams is really telling a story here. So I got to, I got to get my sound effects out of the way uh, where, or, you know, this sound effect is really impactful. I need to make this moment feel very real and dangerous. And so you're going to let that explosion cover up that horn line or whatever. Um, it's a dance. It's a dance between these, uh, you know, it really is a dance between all these different elements. You know, and, and different mixers uh, interpret things in different ways. Again, all of that is looped. All that dialogue is looped, except for when she says garbage shoot. Not that, that's looped. Into the garbage shoot flyboy, you can hear his production sound. Yeah, you hear all that? You can almost hear, like, you hear, I don't know what it is, a smoke or you hear rolling cameras behind her, but you can suddenly hear all this noise fade up and then fade back down. All the rest of this looped. Tons of music. Harrison Ford giving that classic Han Solo scream. And the big wahoo, this is great. And then you end the whole thing with a final horn hit right as he lands in the garbage right here. That's <laughs> great. Mickey Mousing that fall. And now, of course, we're into this section where there's no music. Uh, we covered this on the show. 
that there was music for the sequence with the Dianoga, the creature that's under the water, and they removed it. Great use of uh, stereo panning. You got all those ricochets going back and forth, Absolutely. bouncing around in your head. Look, I had everything under control until you let us down here. You know, it's not going to take them long to figure out what happened to us. Could be worse. It's worse. Yeah, without music, this becomes a lot more tense. It becomes a little bit more like a horror film. But at the same time, like, the quiet is welcome after so much noise. You know, we need to let our ears recover a little bit and just kind of being a fun moment. I've always really liked this scene. And there's that great shot with the Dianoga's eye. That looks like uh, stop motion or maybe go motion. I don't think go motion had been really been invented yet where they added motion blur to stop motion. But uh, it was in development at this time. Certainly by the time they did Empire Strikes Back, they had go motion if not perfected in, in heavy use. Yeah, but this is a sound designer's dream here, you know? You're just able to kind of be in the scene. Great character moment too for Chewbacca, who turns out he's just very, very afraid or just instinctively knows that that Dianoga is bad news and our, our other numbskulls haven't quite... Uh, haven't quite caught up to Chewbacca. Maybe he's the smartest one in the room right now. By the way, I apologize for for the cold that you have to listen to. I'm here on the mic, you know, uh, with a stuffy nose. I uh, just returned actually from promoting Star Wars. I was at uh, I was in Orlando and promoting uh, uh, with the Imagineers Star Wars Galaxy's Edge for their uh, Galactic Nights event. That was really, really fun. And of course I came back and I had a little cold, but uh, hopefully you don't mind as we're talking about Star Wars. It's something I love to do. Um, I'm very lucky. I've been, you know, for those of you that listen to the show and don't know why I love Star Wars so much, well, first of all, I just always have, but it's, it's, a, it's my career. I've uh, been working on Star Wars since 1999 when I started as an intern at Skywalker Sound. Uh, at Skywalker Ranch, and then I worked in video games at uh, LucasArts for over a decade, uh, making a lot of a lot of Star Wars video games. And of course, now I'm a sound editor and re-recording mixer at Skywalker again, but I've been speaking about Star Wars uh, for a long time, since 2004, and I've been a celebration host and hosted other Star Wars events for many, many years. Uh, so it's a subject that is near and dear to me for multiple reasons, including the fact that it's my career. Now, did you guys see, I'm sure everyone knows, that that stormtrooper hits his head. And I've, I've always just debated in my head, you know, why they decided to put that radio click right on the hit of his head. It's almost like if you don't put something on there, then it looks even worse than if you do put something on there. Maybe it's meant to distract you, but that's, that's clearly like a takeover, you know, because why would they score someone smacking their head? Or, or maybe it isn't. I'd be curious to know what you think. You know, did, did they score that or is it just a coincidence? But I've never really been able to decide. If I was a sound editor and I clearly saw that footage, unless the director said, yeah, yeah, go for it, I would be really hesitant to cover it. Maybe it really is supposed to be a, a stormtrooper clack there on the head. I'm not really sure. But now, of course, the music is kicked back in, as we discussed on, on the show. 
And you're really building tension here towards the end. Again, all loops dialogue, of course. There's no way that any of this dialogue would survive on the set. Something must have happened to them. See if they've been captured. Hurry. One thing's for sure, we're all going to be a lot thinner. <laughs> Get on top of it! I'm trying! Anyway, yeah, Star Wars, it's funny because uh, I think I mentioned in the last commentary that Star Wars came out when I was two. I actually wasn't even quite two. You know, but I've just known Star War about Star Wars my entire life. I'm just of that generation. And in fact, I remember learning in school about, you know, NASA and outer space. And I remember being so ridiculously disappointed when I found out, wait, there's no sound in outer space? That's lame. Like, what about X-Wings and TIE Fighters and, you know, Star Wars? This was my brain. This is my uh, born in 1975 brain on Star Wars. Uh but it really is through through this uh, this uh, space opera that I discovered a love for orchestral music and and the arts and uh, grew up doing musical theater and, and you know playing in bands and getting really into music all because of you know the timing of, of this kind of drama you know this really was the fairy tale that I grew up with. It's a great gag here. Three two six three eight two seven. I always felt bad for anyone with that phone number. Now this is a great cue here. This is of course uh, sneaking around for finding the tractor beam. But there's something about Ben Burt's ambience of that ooh, that sort of synthy ambience combined with the music here. And then John Williams has this like high note on the piano that comes in like super high, like this high B going ding, 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 ding. Great tension building moment. Gotta be his years of television scoring right there. Gotta be able to get out of here. Well, let's get moving. Where are you going? Uh, no, wait till here! Come here, you big coward. Chewie, come here. Listen, I don't know who I you think are, John Williams' background in scoring television and things like Gilligan's Island and Lost in Space really kind of helped the lighthearted feeling of this first movie especially. I mean, they're in the Death Star. And if you think about the difference between, say, Howard Shore scoring Mordor versus, you know, uh, John Williams scoring the Death Star, I mean, you couldn't get more tonally different. Here's that high piano that I was talking about, that ding, ding. Now, for those of you that, that uh, don't know, there's a, a line of Stormtrooper dialogue coming up that I'm sure was just improvised you know at the time. On? Probably not even correct. But they talk about this thing called the BT-16. Hey, do you see this thing called the new BT-16? Right here. You seen that new BT-16? Yeah, some of the other guys were telling me about it. They say it's quite interesting. What was that? <laughs> then he uses That's the force nothing. to distract them. Outgassing, don't worry. Outgassing, don't worry about it. But that BT-16 line led to actor Sam Witwer and I, and Sam and I have been friends for coming up on 20 years. Uh, he ended up going, he, we met because my best friend growing up went to Juilliard and met Sam 
And uh, Sam and I became fast friends because he was such a massive Star Wars fan and, and uh, LucasArts video game fan. And I just started working there and uh, eventually was able to get him, you know, help in getting him cast in, in uh, some Star Wars games. Well, particularly The Force Unleashed. Uh, but anyway, uh, Sam, Sam and I ended up doing voiceover for Matthew Wood in, uh, in these uh, new Star Wars films, Force Awakens, Rogue One, Solo, Last Jedi. And... and uh, and when we were doing the Force Awakens, this this thing came out of Sam. You see, the, you hear about the new T seventeens, and I was like T seventeens, yeah. And we just started improv improvising this conversation. Well, now we've worked in something about T fifteens or seventeens into every single one of the new movies, uh, you know, in the Disney era of, of Star Wars, uh, and it's all based on a callback to that to that exchange that you just heard by the tractor beam. Now this is great. Here we're finally going to get Luke Skywalker giving us that big fanfare. We're finally back to this heroic moment. He's got the princess, and he's got to think think, uh, think fast here. And you get John Williams really lets us have the glory of the main title right here. You want an adventure, kid? Well, you got it. And a rare appearance of the B section of the main title. You know, we haven't talked about the B section of the main title. I feel like it's kind of like the supporting story. And uh, I feel like the, the, you know how they talk about newspaper writing? You start with the headline and then you write the support, supporting statements towards the bottom. Uh, that's kind of how I think of the main title. You know, you've, the, the, you know, the headline is, you know, hero arrives and destroys the Death Star. And, you know, then you read further and, and they give you the details. I feel like the B section of of uh, the Star Wars main title is uh, is the details, you know, below the headline there. It was such a great exchange there. Between, I mean, you just went, you know, from a moment you went, you went from uh, swinging across the chasm, which was so heroic, to dun 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 dun. You know, the troopers are moving around, and this is great. You're gonna hear that dun 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 dun, really, but you're gonna hear it solo with Han, and then all of a sudden, outnumbered. You know, and the orchestra, like, you know, jumps on as, as, as you know, to kind of give you the contrast of Han and Chewie running alone, you know, being chased by all these troopers, you know. I always thought that was such a clever, clever uh, musical moment there. Bum, 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 jun, 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 you know. Now here we have some music with some lightsabers, but it goes away. Just the lightsabers. I've been waiting for you all be long. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. I love how he threatens when with the saber here. I was but a learner. Now I am the master. Only a master of evil, Darth. And on that master, master of evil, Darth, you could actually hear that that was production sound as well. These two lightsabers beating a step apart. La 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 la. Your powers are weak, old man. So they do kind of make up music. Strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. You hear that? Well, Vader is the low note. Ben is is like a is what's called two semitones or a step higher 
So if, uh, if Vader was a, was a C, Obi-Wan is a D. That's some of the occupational hazard of, of, of doing sound is that, you know, or being a musician, you think in terms of pitch all the time. Did we just leave this party? Ben Burt does a great job with the Death Star of telling a story that's not happening in the camera or on the scene. And like that, that gas, that is a great example of him just like building ambient sound of things that would be happening off camera. You know, telling a story of what this place is, but really, you know, there's nothing on screen to support it. But yet it still gives you this sense of a, of a bigger place with a lot of people in it. Whereas really you just have a few extras on, on, on screen in our principles. Uh, that's another wonderful thing, you know, world building with sound. Ben? Now, of course, no music for all of this. It's a, kind of a bold choice not to have music for all of this. And then the music kicks in here, and we get uh, the Force theme. Followed by Leia's theme. Which we discussed on the show. I love that Luke just stands there and just starts blasting and just nails that first Stormtrooper. Just pure anguish in this main theme. And that blast the door kid line from uh, from Harrison Ford. I, I'm sure that that wasn't in the script and set on set. I'm sure that that after they shot the insert of uh, of the door, you know, thing being blown up and the door closing, I'm sure that that was done in the editing room to kind of, you know. Uh, Help the plot along, and they just had Harrison Ford and his looping sessions in post-production. Loop, blast, blast the door, kid. Uh, it just kind of helps that scene make sense, so that we know that the threat of Vader has been eliminated. Not only can not Vader not get to them, but he's also distracted by Obi Wan's death, and they're able to get away. You know, I was I was kind of hard on Luke a little bit when uh, I said earlier, you know, oh, you know, you, you just lost the guy you've known for a week. My whole planet blew up. But the fact is, is that Luke has now lost everything in his life, as Leia has as well. Uh, Luke probably doesn't know that about Leia, but, you know, Luke has lost everything, and we've been there along for the ride. He's lost his only family, family he's ever known. And not only did he lose this old man, but that old man seemed to be the only living link to his father, who he knows very little to nothing about, because his uncle will never tell him. So, you know, that was, that, it was a tremendous loss for Luke, but there's no time to think about it. And then, of course, this is just, what an incredible musical moment this is. And I love how this kind of all swings a little bit. You know, it's just building tension towards something. You can feel it. This whole cue gets louder and louder and louder as it goes. You know, and it's just, you know it's coming, but you know what it tells you? It says, here they come. And then... What's great about this is that the, the rhythm is very unpredictable in this, in this piece. You can't really tell... Uh, you know, how it's going to go, because it's not like in a straight four or anything. It's this very unpredictable rhythmic pattern uh, that John Williams sets up. Uh, it just kind of keeps you on your toes here. But you're constantly getting the Rebel fanfare, because this is what it's like to fight back. This is, we're really getting 
We're really getting our heroes in action here. They've got this. And of course, this whole sequence is really inspired by, you know, B-19 bombers and, and bombing runs and, and uh, you know, those ball turrets that are on the B-19s and things like that. I actually got to do some field recording for a video game called Secret Weapons Over Normandy and got to sit in one of those and uh, got to record the inside of it. And, uh, you know, it really made me think of this sequence because this is all, you know, from cut together World War II footage. Uh, so that ILM could get the idea of what, what these things were like to fly in or what the movement was like of these things and uh, You know what they'd be seeing out the window and, and how this would all be cut together And of course leading John Williams giving us this building tension right here Final note, letting the sound effect kind of be the final cadence there. That's it, we did it! We As there's did just a low it. note underneath. Now, after this, this is really interesting, and I mentioned this on the show as well, we enter a period of no music for almost 10 minutes. You know, this is kind of our, our, our breather here. I mean, it's funny, there's a lot less music in the back half of this movie than there is at the beginning. I mean, in the first half of this commentary, uh, we were talking about music nonstop because there is music nonstop. You, you must have already noticed since we've been going now for a little bit, there's just not as much music in this. Um, and, uh, part of, and that is, of course, by design. But uh, part of it is also because, you know, we've been through a lot at this point. We're, how far into the movie are we? We are, you know, yeah, an hour and 36 minutes into the movie. Uh, we've been through a lot, you know. So at this point, we know who the characters are. We know what's at stake. And, uh, you know, we need moments of rest. And this is our longest moment of rest before we launch into the final battle, which is super intense on every single level. So this is our, our moment of, whew, okay. You know, we had a false rest inside the, de inside the detention center, or excuse me, inside the uh, trash compactor. And now we're having our, our real moment of rest. You know, we got away. It actually worked. This is a great moment here between these two. And here comes production sound. Oh. What do you think of Ron? Trying not to, kid. Good. Still, still a lot of spirit. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think a princess and a guy like me? No. <laughs> it's great. And just the Millennium Falcon, just the sound of the Falcon flying around. You know, we get those jet engines, that whine of a jet engine. I mean, if you think about this compared to, say, the Starship Enterprise or uh, any ship in 2001, this is a very different science fiction uh, take. You know, these things are, are moving around with these giant jets. I mean, they're really, they're really more like jets than they are, you know, spaceships or UFOs or anything else that was, you know, previously associated with science fiction. I mean, these are, these things have big rockets on the back of them that make really cool sounds. And again, those background hangar announcements here in the Masasi Temple. When we heard about Alderaan, we feared the worst. We have no time. <laughs> Air drills going off you in the background. You must use the information in this R2 unit to help plan the attack. It's our only hope. This, of course, was a very, very awe-inspiring computer graphic in 1977. 
of this Death Star model here. Uh, cutting edge technology. And then of course cutting to the Death Star to be reinforced. Yep, that's what we're looking at. <laughs> yes, we're approaching the planet Yavin. The rebel base is on a moon on the far side. We are preparing to So many interesting planet. background sounds that uh, Ben Bird is being able to use to tell the story here. As you cut back and forth from different locations. The hangar, the outside of the hangar here. The battle station uh, is heavily Now this uh, control room, you know, versus the Death Star control the room. Its defenses are designed around a direct, large-scale assault. A small, one-man fighter should this be able to penetrate is, is, the outer defense. This entire briefing is, you know, this defense. performance is looped. Pardon me for asking, General sir, what good are snub fighters going to be against that? Well, the Empire doesn't consider a small, one-man fighter to be any threat, or they'd have a tighter defense. An analysis of the plans provided by Princess Leah has demonstrated Leah. a weakness in the battle station. The approach will not be easy. You're required to maneuver straight down this trench and skim the it's surface. It's funny, when Luke is sitting there next to those two other pilots, I'm always like, why is he sitting next to Lars and Kirk from Metallica? It's a small thermal exhaust port right below the main port. The shaft leads directly to the reactor system. A precise hit will start a chain reaction which should destroy it's the funny because the guy he's sitting next to is is that wedge Antilles? because it's not it's not dennis lawson but i think it's voice actor david ingram providing the voice just like he does for wedge possible even for a computer right there it's not impossible i used to bullseye womp rats in my t-16 back home they're not much better than team meters then man your ships and may the force be with you maximum velocity the moon with the rebel base will be in range in 30 minutes so you know this might be a good time to talk about temp scores um because we we had talked a lot about that we've heard some stuff we talked about stravinsky we talked about uh we talked about the throne room uh in terms of um dvorak's ninth symphony or symphony from a new world that's the beginning of the fourth movement of that symphony if you're curious but there were a couple that we never got to, one of which was a piece that was actually used for the main title. You might think it that, it that it was Korngold's King's Row, and maybe that was an influence or a point of conversation between George and, and John Williams. However, uh, according to Jonathan Winsler's book, the 2007 Making of Star Wars book that came out for the 30th anniversary, they used uh, the, the title track to a movie called Ivanhoe by composer Miklos Rosa. Uh, we never had a chance to play that, but if you're curious, uh, check out Ivanhoe, the main theme from Ivanhoe. Also, there were a couple of mentions of some other pieces that I researched, and I honestly didn't find anything compelling enough in terms of comparing it to what Williams eventually did to really play. But for those of you that are curious, apparently Luke's theme was very influenced by Bruckner's Ninth Symphony. I listened to Bruckner's Ninth Symphony. I, I hear a couple of things here and there, but no like smoking gun like there was with with Stravinsky or with Dvorak or certainly with the Benny Goodman stuff. Although even Benny Goodman, I could have swore would have been something like Sing, Sing, Sing. Uh, but the piece that I played was called Digga Digga Doo. Uh, I believe that was what, uh, what uh, Robert Lopez pointed me to. And then the, uh, Franz Liszt, another composer from the 19th century, his, his preludes were also apparently heavily used in the shootout that happens in the, uh, in the detention center. But, you know, even listening to the preludes and comparing it to that, to that piece, I think uh, John Williams may have captured a lively spirit of it, but I don't think there was anything in there that 
um, was really kind of a one-to-one like some of the other pieces. And it's it's worth mentioning, too, that, you know, if you're John Williams and you've got basically several weeks to write this score, keep in mind you have to hit the temp score, write your own themes, orchestrate, put all this together, and stay true to the director's vision. Um, all of those... You know, are are an incredibly, incredibly challenging task that takes years and years and years of study, a a huge command, or I should say, huge vocabulary of what an orchestra orchestra can do. Not to mention uh, the orchestral repertoire to really understand what what these textures are, to even have like a, the harmonic language, to even know harmony well enough to be able to pull off some of these sounds. You know, if you really are going to try and ape Stravinsky, that's that's a really that's a tall order. And then turn around and do something like like Korngold, and then turn around and do something like Dvorak, you know, or Holst. I mean, you you have to have a mastery of all of those. That's not an easy thing to do. And then on top of that, create you know, elevate all of that into something that is wholly your own. Um, I think that's why this this score is so celebrated because, just like the movie, it harkens back to the past. Yet it is just so forward facing. It's so like new and and uh, and so memorable and so unique you know this is why I believe the AFI called it the greatest score you know most influential score of all time now starting with these strings we are now caught up in some real forward momentum as we kick off the final battle here the assault on the Death Star and while it's not quite wall-to-wall music there is so much music from here until the end of the film and where there isn't music, there's wall-to-wall really exciting sound, sound effects. It, it fills every moment on screen. I mean, from this point on, sound and music really carry us through the rest of the story emotionally. And these special edition inserts actually were, I think, a welcome change. You know, I think that uh, they really did a great job in enhancing this end battle here. It's music building tension. You know, you've got the snare drum in there that gives you this kind of military feel. They're on a mission. Building tension. Lock air spoils in attack position. Now we're going to get the force theme as they start to dive here. Coming up pretty soon. But, but not before we get the Death Star and Wedge's line. We're going to size that thing. Accelerate to attack speed. This is it, boys. Red leader, this is gold leader. I copy, gold leader. We're starting to for the target shaft now. We're Angus position. McGinnis. I'm going to cut across the axis and try and draw their fire. Here we go. Those trombones and trumpets giving you the the uh, the force theme there. In this sort of military march sort of way. And it doesn't last long because those cannons, those cannons immediately go after them. John Williams breaks up the party, but he gives it to you a little bit, you know, just the little bits and pieces here. He gives it to us on uh, Red 5 going in for the first time, almost cooks himself, and then straight into Vader's theme here. We count 30 rebel ships, Lord Vader, but they're so small... So the music is helping us track, you know, the good guy team and the bad guy team. It's helping us track the heroism and the danger. 
coming from the right side of that deflection tower. I'm on it. I'm going in. Cover me, Porkins. I'm right with you, Red 3. I can hold it. Pull up! No, I'm all right. And then it goes soft here. The contrast inside the main control room of the Death Star versus what's going on outside. Now the horns just kick right back in as the as the picture cuts back to the X-wings over the top of the Death Star. Squad leaders. We've picked up tension down below on Yevon 4. My scope's negative. I don't see anything. Now this kind of rolling, you know, that, that of course, ends up making an appearance in the final credits there. That kind of rolling thunder is what I kind of like to call that. You know, that forward momentum. One up, watch it. I can't see it. Don't be tight. I can't take it. You know, as a kid that grew up in, on MTV, uh, I look at something like this and I just think, this this is such a fast-moving sequence. Um, you know, and of course, media sped up tremendously from Star Wars all the way into the late 80s and, and early 90s. You know, things just kept getting cut faster and faster and faster and faster. Uh, and I remember watching it happen growing up. I remember things just speeding up and just thinking, you know, this, you know, George Lucas's... Uh, obsession with speed and our obsession with George Lucas and Star Wars and, and these kind of movies really changed the way that we digest media and how we digest information visually. You know, if you think about, you know, YouTube videos and and Instagram videos and things like that now, I mean, we, we digest things in a matter of mere seconds and we're done. Um, I think about how fast this scene is, you know, the speed, the kineticism of the cutting, not to mention ILM's work. And the music, the music, boom! Ben Bird. This is Gold Leader. And here we get a break musically. We just become part of the battle. Now it's funny. I've listened to the soundtrack of Star Wars so much that in my head it's easy to forget that this musical break is even here in the middle of this battle. But it really is, and it actually lasts for a long time. But no power to front. That wonderful effect that you hear, some on the surface, some on the tower, that really is uh, a really cool effect that uh, is called ring modulation. Uh, it's basically when it's, it's, a, it's amplitude distortion for those of you that are really into sound, but basically... Um, uh, it's the same effect if you if you listen to like Tony Iommi's guitar solo on on Paranoid if you're a Black Sabbath fan or something like that. Uh, it's it's a it's an effect that uh, has to do with amplitude where you take a tremolo and you speed it up so high and you turn the depth ups as far as you can that it starts giving you these weird uh, secondary pitches. Um, it's a wonderful distortion effect to put on uh, put on someone's voice and is so heavily associated in my mind with the sequence, the radio sound. I've often speculated as to why they didn't score this whole battle wall-to-wall -wall with music. And I have to say that this whole end battle is too long to hit us with bombast for, or to hit us with music the entire time. It would almost rob the music of its power. And instead, 
we focus on the visuals at this point where there's no music, and we have a chance to get inside the battle here at the end when the music kind of drops out. I mean, we become one of these rebel pilots, and we get to track the action and follow the plot by being inside it more closely. You know, we kind of let our heads take over and let our emotions take a bit of a back seat. And what's nice about doing that is when the music does come back in, it's much more impactful. And you'll notice that John Williams uses the music's absence to hit us again emotionally when Luke and the gang lose Red Leader. They lose their command. I mean, the seasoned pilot bites the dust. What chance do the kids have, you know? So Williams, I mean, he uses the music to reinforce the pit in our stomachs as the music, you know, eventually comes back in here over Luke's very worried face coming up. And from there, the music just grows and grows all the way until the end. I'm in range. Target's coming up. Just hold them off for a few seconds. Close up formation. Even the cockpits, you know, the harshness of the cockpit sound inside the TIE fighter versus the smoothness of the cockpit of the X-Wing, you know, it, it, all the sound tells a story. There. I can't hold them. And the first attempt. Now, from this point on, we have solid music until the end of the film. We had that little break that was just kind of like uh, verite, you know, really, really getting us in the action. Tons and tons of sound, but now the music is back. The stakes are up because they, it's really up to this new generation now. They lost their leader. And this is where Luke has to step up with his friends. Think about the tremendous imagination that it takes to, to be one of these actors that is in this cockpit, selling the emotion of this scene. I mean, they're looking at nothing. And the music is is not painting a pretty picture here. You know, it's just, this is this is crazy. It's, you know, the, the music is just, uh, the music is, is dread, you know. It's pure dread coming out. R2 trying to increase the power. Even R2 is like, screw this. 
are these chromatic lines, you know, uh, that are just rising, da, 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 you know, leading into the to the death of Biggs. It's really wonderful tension building that John Williams does there with those chromatic, those sort of climbing, increasing, or climbing chromatic lines. And of course, now we get Luke's theme, but stated in the low brass, not in a heroic way, but in a, okay, this is it. If you're gonna be that guy that you were swinging across the chasm, now's the time to be that guy swinging across the chasm. And then everything gets interrupted. And we get the most dreamlike, floating, portamento version. And here's that rolling thunder again. Determination. His computer's off. Luke, you switched off your targeting computer. What's wrong? Nothing. Okay, now the brass seems a little more confident now that it's stating Luke's theme. And the, and the pulse underneath it, it's all building to a moment. John Williams is playing a long game here. Oh, it takes a little step back. The woodwinds are not as confident with the horns. Yeah, it just, the melody just went sour. Rebel yeah. In range. You may fire when ready. And the timpani takes over. This, it all comes down to this, this last moment. And now you're getting it again, but again, it's altered. It's not right. Um, you've got these kind of clustered harmonies around it. So you're, get, you're getting the outline of the melody, but you're not getting it stated in that sort of wonderful major key way. Even as Han flies in. You know, Han flying in for the assist is great, but it doesn't take away from Luke's mission here. It, it, you're still on that trajectory. And now we're back to the bump, 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 those Holstein. Bump, 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 just building tension. Is he going to be able to pull this off? And, and then he does a wonderful thing. He clears the music out of the way for the giant payoff. And then... Glockenspiel and flutes. It, you know, almost going for Christmas lights here. Great shot, kid! That was one in a million! Remember, the Force will be with you. And then you kind of get the outline of Luke's theme, but you get it with the Rebel fanfare. Oh, so wonderful. The audience cheers. This is like being a, doing commentary for, for the World Series. That's what I feel like right now. <laughs> and then no music here. Of course, there is some collateral damage here for R2, but he'll be all right. Say something. You can repair him, can't you? We'll get to work on him right away. You must repair him. Sir, if any of my circuits or gears will help, I'll gladly donate them. He'll be all right. Such an interesting moment to include right before the award ceremony there. Just a breather. All right, we all got kind of cleaned up, and now we get to have this wonderful... Uh, Almost like going to royal court here with these horns. Like being called in front of Queen Elizabeth in some costume drama. Like one of those old corn gold costume dramas like the Seahawk or like the Private Lives of Elizabeth and Essex. Uh, one of those old swashbuckling costume dramas. But of course you're getting the force theme fully stated 
and with full resolve, like we talked about. You know, it really gives you a bump, but it cadences at the end. It's a self-contained, fully realized melody. Not only that, but it ends in this wonderful, glorious metal right here. Now emerges a new melody. Uh, very, very much like pomp and circumstance. Very much like you're attending a graduation. In fact, there's a lot of Elgar in here. That's something, uh, that's something again that Robert Lopez has talked a lot about. He goes, I swear it's Elgar here at the end. We've never seen the droids this shiny before. Everyone is a more actualized, realized version of themselves. Everyone looks better, sounds better. Portuy needs a medal. I don't know why they didn't give him one, but but you know they are they have they have completed the hero's journey, and now we are swept into the credits. A little bit of Leia. And then straight into the main title, Luke's theme here, followed up by the Rebel Fanfare. That pattern hasn't changed. That pattern hasn't changed throughout all the movies yet, except for the spin-offs. It's wonderful listening to the closing credits of a Star Wars movie because this really is kind of the beginning of concert suites. And in fact, you know, John Williams, I mentioned this when I was talking about John Williams and Bernard Herrmann, but John Williams really uh, took film music into concert halls in a major way after Star Wars, especially when he became the director of the Boston Pops in 1983, which he did, or 83 or 84, which he did for about 10 years, and really brought a lot of his own his own film music into the concert halls, E.T., Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark, that sort of thing and really helped legitimize film music as real orchestral music throughout his career. Um, and when you listen to the end credits of a Star Wars movie, I feel like you really do get a sense that that, that is going to happen because they feel like that. They feel like concert hall pieces. And and in fact, uh, you know, you hear him perform the end credits of this original Star Wars in almost every concert he does uh, as an encore towards the end because it is that thing that kind of lifts you out of your seat and on your way out the door. Uh, on your way home, you know, I mean, it does have that just kind of that wonderful wrap-up energy. Uh, what a career. What a career John Williams has had. And this is just the beginning for us on the Soundtrack Show. I mean, we have so much to talk about with John Williams. I mean, I, like I said at the very beginning of this commentary in part one, you know, you're in danger of always talking about John Williams because he's got so much great material to talk about. He is, you know, pound for pound, score for score, our greatest our greatest film composer. And, uh, you know, it's a challenge to not talk about John Williams, he says as he wraps up uh, a look at Star Wars. Now, of course, we go from the main title into Princess Leia's theme, and we get the biggest version of Leia's theme in the film here. But again, with the Rebel fanfare. It's great. It's great writing. And those string, the string movement is always going. I was lucky enough uh, once to hear John Williams' brother, Don Williams, he's a timpanist that plays uh, here in Los Angeles and plays on a lot of film scores, talk about John Williams' music. And one of the things that he would always say is, 
John always keeps forward motion in his score. So if one, if a melody is holding a long note, there's always another element in the orchestra that is moving. So the the strings going, you know, you know, da 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 da, while the you know the da da dee dee is holding a long note. Sorry, that's confusing when other music is playing. But the idea is that one part of the orchestra is always responding to the other. So there's always this sense of motion, that there's motion being bounced around from section to section of the orchestra to keep our ears moving forward. Nothing ever feels static. Nothing ever stops in terms of motion, even when there are long notes playing. And you hear that in pieces like Leia's theme or some of these quote unquote slower or more romantic pieces. You actually feel that momentum uh, trick at play even more clearly because somehow they still seem to move forward. You know, nothing seems static with John Williams. And then again with the Rebel Fanfare, leading us into a big, big ending here. Ah, it's just so good. And very much like Beethoven, Williams has this ability to give us a a big boom at the end. And this concludes our look at Star Wars, the original from 1977, written and directed by George Lucas, with an incredible film score by John Williams. Thank you. Thank you.